Deal Lawyer Podcast with John Andrews, powered by JMW Solicitors. Welcome to the Deal Lawyer Podcast. I'm John Andrews. I, for the last 30 years, I've been a corporate lawyer, helping countless business owners sell their businesses, helping numerous purchasers buy businesses. And today we will explain to you the anatomy of a share purchase agreement, what it does and what to look out for. So, John, I suppose the obvious place to start is, what is a share purchase? Uh, a share purchase is when you acquire an actual limited company business as opposed to buying assets. So it's quite a distinct legal process. Um, a limited company has its own identity. Uh, and if you imagine that all the assets in a business are owned by that limited company, what you then have are shareholders. And when you do a share purchase, you buy the shares from those shareholders, but the legal entity of the company remains in place and trading. And when you did your introduction then, you mentioned a share purchase agreement. Uh, what does one of these look like? What sort of things would it include, John? Yeah, well, the, well, the agreement is the fundamental document that, that undertakes a transaction. So it will include, most importantly, price, how that price is paid, it will contain certain promises given by the seller of the business to the buyer of the business, uh, which will be in the form of warranties and indemnities, which we can discuss uh, for, further on this podcast. Um, it will include restraint of trade clauses. So if you're buying a business, you want to make sure that the seller's not going to go off and compete immediately with you. Um, and it, it will contain what's known as a tax covenant, which deals with all the nasty tax issues that, that might be lurking in the background in relation to a company that you buy. And I don't want to sound too flippant, John, but when you say the word warranty, which you just have done, I think of the little book that comes with something that you buy from a shop. Um, it, 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 you know, would you mind explaining what, what a warranty is, please? Yeah, a warranty is not, not unlike that little book that you get. Um, it's, it's certain promises that the seller makes to a buyer about the limited company that they're buying. Uh, and, these, and these are important because when you buy a limited company, when you do a share purchase, um, you're buying it as a going concern. So warts and all, you, you take over the, the history of that limited company. Whereas with an asset purchase, generally speaking, you exclude any historical liabilities or, or, or issues. So you only deal with the business going forwards. With a share purchase, uh, it's, it's, an ongoing, it's an ongoing arrangement. So the, the, the warranties give some peace of mind to the buyer about key areas of the business. So, uh, for example, there will be warranties about, about the employees, who they are, what they're paid and what they do. There will be warranties about the, the accounts. So are the accounts true and accurate? There will be promises given to you about litigation. So if there are any claims against the business, what they are and at what stage they've reached. Um, so really giving, giving the buyer some peace of mind about what's happened with the business in the past uh, and what may happen to it in the future. You mentioned earlier on indemnities as well. Uh, what are indemnities? Yeah, indemnities, again, are promises, but, but, but they're, in a, they're in a different form. So to make it as simple as possible, if, if you are given a warranty and it's proven to be untrue, so for example, you're given a warranty that, that there are no claims against the business, and it turns out that there are, the, the remedy for, for a breach of warranty is, is breach of contract. You can sue for breach of contract. Now, in order to, to bring that claim, you have to show that there has been a financial loss or damage caused to the business. 
and that that loss in turn has reduced the value of the shares. So it's quite a complicated process. Um, and indemnity, by contrast, is, is, is a very specific promise which, which the buyer gives to the seller, which may have been identified from an issue that's come up in due diligence. So let's say, for example, we, we, with IT companies, for example, it's, it's quite common for IT companies to have self-employed contractors working for them. Um, and if those contractors work, don't, don't work anywhere else, um, and they've worked uh, almost full-time, essentially, for the, for the business that you're buying, there will be risks that the revenue will come back and say they're not, they're not really self-employed, they're, they're employees. The consequences of that are that there will be a tax liability. Now, if that's identified during the course of due diligence, um, you would ask ordinarily for, for a specific indemnity to say that if the revenue come along at a later date and they challenge this status and as a consequence of that, there is money to pay to be paid additional tax, then you, you take a specific indemnity for, for, for that issue. What that then means is, is that you can claim that specific sum without having to prove anything else. So all we need to show is that the events occurred, you've had to pay money across to compensate for that, that particular event, and in turn, the, the seller then has to reimburse you that sum of money. So it's a far simpler process, but it's a much more targeted uh, issue. And I think anybody sort of thinking, well, how would I cut through all of that? Of course, that's why you're the deal lawyer, John. It's worth mentioning at this point that you would deal with all of that sort of stuff, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. And probably the most important part of having a lawyer on your side who knows what they're doing in relation to these deals is the negotiation of, of these warranties and indemnities, both for the buyer and the seller. Because if you're, if you're buying, you want as much comfort as you can get. If, if you're selling, you want to limit your exposure under these indemnities and warranties as much as you can. And, and that's done in a number of ways. So you, you try to reduce the scope of the indemnities and warranties that, that are given. You also then try to cap the liability that may arise under those claims as well. I found it really interesting, John, when you said before that you wouldn't want the seller to compete with you if you were if you were buying. That would presumably done by be done by a covenant. Could you just... Perhaps elaborate on that a little bit and maybe explain what a covenant is. Yeah, so there's a general perception that restraint of trade covenants aren't enforceable. Um, that's not true. They are enforceable, but they have to be drafted reasonably and fairly um, and not go beyond what's, what's necessary in order to give proper protection to the buyer. Um, the other thing to bear in mind is this, is that in, in the context of a share purchase agreement, the courts look at those as commercial deals so that, that they, they are more likely to enforce those than they are restraints that are contained in these service agreements or employment contracts. So the restraints can be wider and they can be, a, they can be for a longer period of time, typically between two to five years. So again, much longer than you get away with in an employment contract. Um, what those restraints, restraints will cover are things such as non-compete, so you can't go off and start a competing business, it will protect the client base, so the seller can't go off and seek to do business with the with, with the clients of the business they just sold. Um, and it will protect staff to ensure that you know once the business has been acquired, the seller's not come along and, and, and entice the staff away, either to a competing business or to an entirely different business, but, but relying on their personal relationship with the staff. The whole idea is is to protect the value of the of a limited company and the asset that you've bought. 
You've mentioned some of the do's and don'ts to protect the uh, the, the asset. Are there any restrictions to a to a share purchase? No, well, in, in, in terms of if terms of what you incorporate into the agreement itself, that, that really is a matter of negotiation. So you you can incorporate when and how the price is paid. Um, how long the restrictions are for, how extensive the warranties are, how extensive the indemnities are. Um, the whole purpose of, 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 of engaging a lawyer in this process and a, and a lawyer who does this type of work is, is to ensure that you end up with, with a document that strikes a fair balance between the buyer and the seller. And, and generally speaking, um, Corporate lawyers who are used to doing these deals know what the parameters are, that, that they, they, they know when to give on certain issues and when to dig their heels in. Um, and, and what you'll find is, is getting two experienced corporate lawyers will, will, will result in the deal hopefully going through far more smoothly than with somebody who's not really experienced this area and, and establishing. So it may well be that they'll miss important points. Or it may mean they become different points, which in the, in the larger scheme of things don't really matter. And of course, you are an, an experienced corporate lawyer. You're the deal lawyer, um, John. Can you just give us an idea of the process? Who prepares these sorts of agreements? Yes, yeah, so, so the process is generally speaking, it's the buyer's lawyer who, pre- who prepares the first draft of the purchase agreement, it, whether it's a share purchase or an asset purchase agreement. Um, there are a whole host of ancillary documents to be to be prepared in relation to the transaction. So you need with a share purchase, you need board minutes. There may be resignations of directors, appointments of new directors, the, the transfer of shares, the payment stamp duty, um, and also what's known as a PSC register. So you have to at company's house, you have to notify uh, company's house as to who the majority shareholders are and what, what extent of control they have over the company. So the process with a share purchase uh, in terms of documentation is, is more complicated. Um, in terms of the practical day-to-day operation of the business, it's actually far simpler because there's no change in the legal entity that is employing staff that's supplying services to, to clients and customers. So there are pros and cons to both processes, which we'll discuss in a later podcast. And I know there are some days when you say, oh, I've got completions on today. Um, can you just give us an idea of, of how that whole process works, please, John? Yeah, so generally speaking, uh, there are two ways to do a deal. You can have a split exchange of completion, a bit like when you when you sell a house. So you exchange contracts on one day, there's a period of time between exchange and completion, and, and then you complete at a later date. And completion is a date on which uh, payment is made for, for the business. Um, that, that, that tends to be uh, less common nowadays. There's a big move towards doing uh, exchange of completion on the same day. Um, it's, it, it's simpler. It avoids there being a, a, a period of time when the old owners own the business and are still operating it, but, 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 the, new, but the buyer is committed to acquiring it. Um, so uh, simultaneous exchange of completion is far more than normal now. What happens is you get all the documentation signed up, usually in advance. Um, it's rare nowadays to have a face-to-face roundtable meeting. Um, it's done remotely more often than not. So all the documentation is signed. Uh, the uh, buyer solicitor usually is in funds for the purchase price. They they send those those funds across to the seller solicitors to be held to order until the deal completes. Uh, we then do a telephone call uh, to say that um, 
each party is holding signed documentation. You agree to exchange and complete. Uh, the monies are released, and really, it's as simple as that. And the, the new owner goes into the business once they know the deal's done, and it, and it's theirs theirs to do with what they like from that point onwards. And I know previously, John, you've given out your mobile number. How can we get hold of you? Yeah, best way is through my mobile, uh, 0768-266-036, or through the JMW website. Thanks very much for listening to the uh, Deal Lawyer podcast, and we hope that you'll join us again soon.